Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 4. The words will be on screen, and if you'd like, you may open a pew Bible to follow along. Galatians, chapter 4. I'll read verses 21 through the end of the chapter. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one of the slave woman and the other by the free woman. And his son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but the son of the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. These women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. And now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that is above, is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of the promise. And at that time, the son was born according to the flesh, and he persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If, as you heard today's scripture you were a little bit confused, well, you're, you're not the only one. You might have thought, huh, what is going on here? And when I read this the first time back in May as I was preparing to do this sermon series, I, I had that same reaction. I wanted to take Paul by the shoulders and shake him and say, what were you thinking here? I know what you're trying to get at, but couldn't you have said it in a simpler, easier way? Now, I've been, ever since then, I've been praying for the Spirit's leading as I preach through Galatians to, to help me understand the Word, and particularly this especially difficult section. Now, the thing about preaching through a whole book of the Bible is you can't skip any parts, not even the hard parts, not even the confusing parts. So that's why we're here, because we know that all of Scripture is useful in telling, um, in telling God's redemptive story, in, in teaching us how to live and act and uh, guiding us to live rightly. That's why we're here today, to hear God's word. Now, you might be thinking that you understand what Paul is saying here in this chapter, in this passage, or maybe you don't. But the the gist of it is this. There are two covenants, uh, the law and grace. And God's children are part of the covenant of grace, of promise, the one made to Abraham and Sarah. That's the covenant that came first. The, The one that came before the law was given on Mount Sinai. But why all this talk about Sarah and Hagar, uh, about freedom and slavery, about barrenness and, ch- barrenness and children? What, what is Paul trying to do with that? Well, to make sense of it, we need to go back to that story of Sarah and Hagar. And it might not be so familiar to you. It's, it's found in Genesis chapter 16 and 21. 
And how it starts is this. God has already appeared to Abraham twice at this point in the story. Uh, First, he appeared to him and said, all nations or peoples will be blessed through you. And and God uh, comes to Abraham a second time a little bit later and repeats this same covenant promise that his children will number as many as the stars in the heavens. They will be uncountable. And then God, as we heard a few weeks ago, God walks between the sacrificed animals to represent that this is an unconditional, one-sided covenant that God takes the curse of death upon himself so that this covenant will happen. But somehow, after years of waiting, Abraham and Sarah lose hope. And she says to him, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go and sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And so she gives him her slave, Hagar, the Egyptian. And and Abraham takes her as her wife, as his wife. And maybe God's blessing, they hope, will come through this child instead. As soon as as Hagar gets pregnant, she and Sarah start bickering and it doesn't go well. And she sends Hagar away into the desert. And God meets Hagar in the desert. Uh, she, She gets a chance to name God, something hardly anyone else in the Old Testament does. And she gives God the name El Roy, the God who sees me. Because God saw her in her distress. And God promises her many descendants. And he says, return and submit to your mistress. And she goes back and her son Ishmael is born. And then God appears again to Abraham. The third time. And this time God declares that he will have a son. And his covenant will not be through Ishmael. But through this son that comes of Sarah. The covenant promises will come through Isaac. And so Sarah and Abraham have this son, Isaac, and and after he is born, trouble begins again between Hagar and Sarah, between Ishmael and Isaac, and again, Sarah tells Abraham, send them away. And again, God meets them in the desert. And when they are near death, under a tree, God meets them and provides bread and water for them. And God promises to make Ishmael a great nation. In fact, God promises many of the same things he promised to Abraham, except for one uh, key part about being blessed to be a blessing for all nations of the earth. Now, this story is a strange story and not very familiar. From start to finish, it's got everything you'd want in a soap opera. It's, It's sordid and sad and broken, but it's the word of God, and that's why Paul points us to it. Now, Paul tells this story for the Galatians, but especially for those people who were leading the Galatians astray. He brings up this story to correct the teachers who'd led them astray. And he expects them all to know this story. And he lays down the challenge to them. You know the law, but do you actually know the law? Do you actually know what the Torah says about the covenant of God? Now the Galatians have been told by these false teachers that if they keep the law, then they can truly receive God's covenant blessings. Because only Jews could be God's children, right? No, says Paul. He points to scripture. He says, it is written. And he reminds people that Abraham had two sons, uh, Hagar's son, Ishmael, the slave woman, and the second one, uh, Isaac, with Sarah, the free woman. Now, that first son, Ishmael, was born because of human conniving, or what Paul calls the flesh way, the normal human way. But the second son, Isaac, was born of God's promise. 
So you see, God's promised blessing came to Abraham even before he became a Jew. He was still a Gentile when God met him and promised him these things. God's covenant came before he had done a single thing to deserve it, before the law was given. And Abraham believed God, and he was counted as righteous. God's covenant with Abraham points to that covenant of grace in Jesus. And here Paul steps back and reminds his listeners a little bit of what he's doing. He's making an allegory. It's a kind of story, that uh, taking this story from the Old Testament that isn't really about law and grace and making it into a symbol about that. It's, a, it's an old rabbinical way of studying and interpreting Scripture, and Paul is an expert at it. He studied under Gamaliel, one of the top Pharisees uh, in this time, and yet Paul hardly ever uses this kind of argument in his letters. He, he usually uses a much more straightforward uh, Christian theological argument. But here he does it because he knows his audience. He knows those false teachers will hear this and they will be stuck. They love this kind of argument and there's nothing they can do against it. But for us, this allegorical way of interpreting scripture doesn't make as much sense. Uh, we, we might prefer that Paul stick with his straight and plain Christian theology. Just tell us how it is, Paul. Keep it simple. But we too can learn from this if we open our eyes to it because this is about the, the, the covenant of freedom that comes in, in grace. Now, Paul takes this allegory a little further in verse 24, uh, beyond what the original story says. And he explains that Hagar and Sarah stand for these two covenants. Hagar represents Mount Sinai. That's the place where God gave the law to the Jews. And her children, he says, are slaves. She also represents the city of Jerusalem at that time, which was the center of the law. They, the people at that time thought that only Jews could follow Jesus and receive God's blessing. Now, on the other hand, there's Sarah who represents grace and freedom and, and the Jerusalem that is above, says Paul, that is God's kingdom and God's kingdom ways. And those who believe in Jesus are children of God through Sarah. So we have on, on one side Hagar and slavery and law, and on the other side we have Sarah and freedom and grace. There's an old song that you might have heard, an old uh, country song that even goes back to the African-American spirituals time, and it says this, give me that old-time religion, it's good enough for me. Maybe you've heard Dolly Parton's version of it. Give me that old-time religion, it's good enough for me. Now, I've always wondered about that song. What does it mean? What is this old-time religion that it's talking about? Was it the gospel of Jesus' grace? Or was it all about the rules and the regulations and the laws and looking good because that's what everyone else did? Uh, Tim Keller, a pastor of a Presbyterian church in New York, often says that religion and the gospel are two totally different ways of living. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel says this, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. He goes on, uh, religion has this motivation based on fear and insecurity, but the gospel motivation is based on grateful joy. And finally, uh, he says, I obey God in religion in order to get things from God, but the gospel says, I obey God to get God, to delight in and to resemble him. 
Which of those sounds more familiar to you? I mean, which is the old-time religion? And which is the good news of Jesus' grace and, and his name and the kingdom of God being made known? Which is the way that you've lived your life? Which is the way you would rather live your life? Religion or gospel? Now, Paul can't help himself. He has to throw in some poetry here in his argument. So he pulls out Isaiah and he reminds people of the joy of grace. And he says this in verse 27. Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. It's this joyful declaration that the children of promise, the children of Sarah, the barren and desolate woman, are, are, are blessed. And this verse isn't even about Sarah or the covenant. It's about Jerusalem and her people, but Paul takes it and makes something new with it. And the covenant promises of God are made because of what God's children see, because God's children come from the least expected places. And Paul reminds the Galatians that they are Sarah's children, God's children of promise, that they are as much children of God as Isaac was. And the proof of, the proof of this, he says, is in the persecution. See, no one suffers persecution for taking the easy way, the way of the flesh, it's the children of the promise, the children born of the Spirit that suffer, like Isaac and Sarah suffered under Ishmael and Hagar, uh, because they would not share the inheritance. And that's why Sarah told Abraham to send them away in Genesis 21, because Isaac, not Ishmael, was God's promised child. Now, it might not seem fair to you that God chooses Isaac and not Ishmael at this point. Why is that? And I'd like to remind you that God makes covenant promises with Hagar and Ishmael too. A different ones, ones to make him a great nation, to give him many descendants. But God chose Abraham out of all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth. God chose him to bless all the peoples. And God chose Isaac and his son and his sons after him and God's people after them to bless all peoples. Because God's blessing doesn't make sense to us sometimes. It's, it's this blessing that is so wide and so expansive and yet so particular and focused. God's covenant is wide and deep enough to remove our sin and yet uh, so focused on the grace that Jesus has for us. And the, the Belgic Confession, Article 22, which we read earlier, uh, says this about the law and gospel. I'll read it again to remind us. To say that Christ is not enough like those teachers of the Galatians did, but that something else is needed as well is a most enormous blasphemy against God, for then it would follow that Jesus Christ is only half a savior. So we say with Paul, as he does in Galatians, that we are justified by faith alone or by faith apart from works. This is what Galatians is all about. And uh, the Belgic Confession continues, however, we do not mean properly speaking that it is faith itself that justifies us because then we would have something to do with our salvation. No, he says, faith, uh, it says, faith is only the instrument by which we embrace Christ, who is our righteousness. But Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness, he is the one who makes available to us all of his merits and all the holy works he has done for us and in our place. And faith, faith is the instrument that keeps us in communion with him and with all of his benefits. And when those benefits are ours, says the Belgic, then they are more than enough to absolve us from
from all our sins. What I love about this is that it says faith doesn't justify us. It's the Spirit working through Jesus Christ's sacrifice that justifies us. The Spirit gives us faith in the first place, faith in Jesus Christ, and He is our righteousness. And Jesus makes us right with God, and that faith keeps us in Him. And He alone is more than enough to save us from our sins. Uh, Tim Keller, that pastor in New York, says elsewhere that Christianity in, in the history of the church was not at first considered a religion at all. It was considered an anti-religion. In fact, the Romans called the Christians atheists for about 200 years. When the gospel of Jesus Christ broke into the world, it was so different, so powerful, so strange, so unlike any other religion up until that time that it shouldn't even be called by that title. Other religions had teachers, but Jesus Christ comes as a savior And yes, he did teach some things too, but he was the Savior. It is something else entirely. It is the gospel. And the strange thing about the gospel is that it's not, at first, about making us into good people. It's more radical. It goes deeper than that. The the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again and ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the gospel makes us in Christ. And we become like Jesus. We become one with Jesus. It's, it's what Orthodox theologians call uh, theosis. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't about making us better parents or better children or better workers or better humans. It's about making us like Jesus. And the good news is that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, was crucified, and was raised again so that we can be part of God's divine nature. We can be known by God, and we can know God in return. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't at first about morality or behavior or doing the right thing or being good people. It's not about the laws and the rules. It's not about anything at all that we can do. It's about being one with Jesus Christ, about being formed in the Spirit to become more like Him. And that, my friends, that is good news. Because when you feel frustrated that you're you're not a better person, kinder, wiser person, Jesus says, I am enough. And maybe you struggle with that same sin again and again. Jesus says, my grace is enough to set you free. Maybe you say to yourself, at least I'm better than so-and-so, than those people. And Jesus says to you, no, you're not. But I am I am enough for you. And the gospel sets you free when you're trying to be good enough or do good enough. It's about what God is doing, not what you did or haven't done or can't do. You are children of the promise. You who believe in Jesus Christ, says Paul, you are children of the free woman. You are no longer slaves. And and then in chapter 5, verse 1, he bursts it out. He can't help holding it in. And he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. Oh, this is not the kind of freedom that we like to talk about sometimes, the the freedom to do whatever we want. This is the freedom of Jesus Christ. It's the freedom of loving sacrifice and service, the freedom of grace. And it is this freedom, my friends, dear lovers of Jesus Christ, dear followers of him, it is this freedom that we find in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are the living word. You are the one in whom we want to be found. 
And it's by your word, by your covenant of grace that we can be in you. We trust in you. We who believe and call on your name trust that your spirit is working good in our lives, is making us more like you. So we pray that we may be found in you, that we may be united with you and become one so that we become like you in in our lives, in our characters, in our words and actions, that we may be your faithful followers, your little Christs in the world. We trust that you are doing this even now as we come to your word by the Spirit. And we pray that you take our lives and mold them and shape them to be made in Christ's image. We offer ourselves to you as uh, your children, living sacrifices, following in your way. We pray that you do this by the Spirit and in your name. Amen. Let us respond to the word with a a song that we taught last week in the service, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me, a song that speaks of what Jesus Christ is doing in and through us. I invite you to rise in body or in spirit to sing. <laughs>